Most of us never learned how to train our brains, which is why most of us needlessly settle, struggle, and worse, suffer. My name is Chris Doris, and I want to make brain training mainstream. This is my series, Tough Talks, Conversations on Mental Toughness. I'm interviewing badasses from all walks of life on what mental toughness means to them and their unique approaches to strengthening their minds. Hey everybody, welcome back to Tough Talks, Conversations on Mental Toughness, and I am your host, Chris Doris. Thanks for joining. Today our guest is a Major League Baseball uh, superstar pitcher, Garrett Richards. Now, I've known Garrett for the better part of a decade. I knew him before he threw his first Major League pitch, and we're going to talk about that first Major League game, because uh, it was it didn't go the way he wanted it to, and I'm really interested in hearing, and I have a pretty reasonable idea of where I think he's going to go with it. In fact, I'm certain, although we haven't talked about that. I promise you we did not talk about that in advance. But I know him really well because I, you know, I've been his friend for a while. I had the great privilege of attending his wedding in Cabo a few years ago, and it's crazy that it was already that long ago. Um, and, and so this today, this is kind of cool. This is actually better than kind of cool. It's extremely cool. This is our first ever uh, live Tough Talks being filmed with a film crew in a public place. We're going over to uh, a, a nearby, my favorite watering hole, which is called The Hungry Monk here in Chandler, Arizona. And that was his idea. That's where we met. Uh, he married uh, a friend of mine. And that's how I know. So, you know, we've been friends. I don't think of Garrett as a famous pitcher. I think of him as a buddy. But he's a famous pitcher. And and that's cool because that's a unique perspective. I haven't had any um, active – I haven't had any, you know, starting pitchers uh, from Major League Baseball. He's a starter. And he's not starting right now. He plays for the um, San Diego Padres, which is actually really cool because he just became a Padre himself. He's got a new kid, uh, Baby Riggs, <laughs> who's adorable. And uh, I think eight, seven or eight months old. And um, anyway, he's, he plays for the Padres, but he's recovering from Tommy John surgery. And we're going to get into the details of that because it's not just one. It's not just one injury. <laughs> it's not just one arm surgery either. So he's, you know, he's, he's had a long road here. And I, I really want to get into his mind about, you know, the, the relationship between that and, uh, and um and mental toughness. So he's good. not just that. He's going to have plenty to say. I know he actually has uh, worked. I never coached Garrett. He has, however, been coached by the late, great Dr. Ken Revisa, who was a mentor of mine. And we never knew that um, until after we got to know each other and, uh, you know, started talking about it. And, and that, that's pretty cool. So anyway, with no, I'm going to go head over. I got to bounce over across the street and go find him. He's actually already over there. So um, there's a film crew setting up. And I got I to hustle up. So let's go find the dude. Here he is, folks. The man, the legend, G. Rich, Gary hey. Richards, brother. Cheers. cheers, cheers. Here man. we are. Cheers. Cheers to you. Thanks for having me. And well, of course, thanks. You, this is actually on demand. Um, we we established this a very long time ago. It's rude to not take a sip when you cheers. Absolutely. We are here. We have to give a shout out to our host, uh, Jim Lolly, who's the owner of this fabulous craft beer joint called the. Hungry Monk here in Chandler, Arizona, where I actually met you. Long the time better ago. Yeah, the better part of a decade ago, as a matter of fact. Coming up so, on that, yeah. So, yeah. So, the, so I met you because you married a good friend of mine. A very good friend of mine. The daughter of one of my best friends in the world. Tater. I am one of the few... 
Tater salad. Tater salad. She, your wife is not the daughter of tater salad. You know, you know how we look at that, though. You know how we look at that. Yes. So Jim Tate and uh, Dana Tate are two of my best friends in the world. Dana's daughter is your wife. Correct. Who, uh, I don't know how many people in the world call her AJ, but I have only ever called her that. You don't call her that. too. No. And, but I think I've Dana and her, her mom is one of them. But anyway, I call her AJ, Alexis. And uh, so you, you started dating her a, a while ago, and maybe 2010-ish, about nine years ago. And then we met like right over there. The place hasn't changed. It has not changed. It, if anything, it's gotten better. So, um, but so since then, of course, since we met, you, you've gotten married, and of course, brought baby Riggs. Yes, baby Riggs into my the world. Pride is, and joy. Yeah, baby Riggs. Riggs, what a great name for your your boy who is how many months old? Seven and a half, about to be eight. Seven months. and a half months old, about, almost eight months old. And I gotta tell, I gotta tell you, that kid is not only photogenic as hell, he's like ridiculously videogenic. That dude's got a lot of personality. Yeah for like a human that is that new. He's a good looking kid. He's a good looking kid, <laughs> but he's also very active. I like I liked the video of him putting Absolutely. his foot in his mouth. Enjoy the flexibility now. Because <laughs> that, that faucet's already started dripping. So, uh, so I love that you've made time uh, for this because, you know, we're buds and, um, and you're, you're, you're a famous professional athlete. You're a pitcher for the uh, Padres, formerly of the Angels. Uh, I'll explain. I'll explain this momentarily. We'll you were pitching for the Angels. When we did customize this a little bit. We'll Actually, I may as well since it's up. I'll explain it now. This is this is Garrett's bobblehead when he was playing for the Angels. He retreated this year to the. Um, to the pods, to the, to, which is actually really cool, right? To the Padres, I, I to the pods. I signed free agent deal. Um, but that's yes. right, my bad. That's thank you for correcting me. Right? So you just were, go you did down free the road agent, to the right? Padres. Exactly. Cool. Just down a little south, just down the street. But um, we've got your arm protected here. It's on the uh, men. So I, I'm it's a Phillies fan. I'm a Phillies fan. I really, really, really wanted you to go to Philly. I really wanted you and Trout to go to Philly. I am like beyond devastated right now. But I will use all of my skills, all of my mental toughness tools to get through this. But it's not about me, it's about you. So you are now a Padre, which I love because you just became a Padre. I am. And you're right down the street. So we're gonna go see you play. But um, you know a guy named Scott Wright. Mm -hmm. Scott Wright has a son named Garrett. Actually, I don't know if it was Garrett. I don't know which of his sons. But uh, th this, do you know what this is? It's a bozo nose. It's, but it's, guess where I got this? I couldn't tell you. This is amazing. Right. Do you ever see the movie Patch Adams? Once. With yeah. Robin Williams? Yes. This is actually from the real Patch Adams. Come on. From the real Patch Adams. I met a guy that's a doctor that worked for him, and I went to an event last year called A-Fest in Sardinia, and I met a guy that works for, for the real Patch Adams, and he gave me this. So Scott's, wow. one of Scott's sons, I don't know who did it, went up to my office and put this on your arm to protect you. Probably the cutest thing you could possibly do. How good is that? I mean, how good you know, I did the artwork. I changed it to the Phillies. I don't, I don't know if you that. can see that, but I changed it. I had to do that because that was my, that's just From one a of distance, my things. it looks a little like cartoony, almost like. Uh, it's a good job. Like Japanese league type. You have to get really close I don't know though. that that's a word, Japanese league, but, but well, no, there's a No, there's a league, over the, like a Japanese league. Like oh. Their uniforms have like kind oh, of like more okay. bubbly, Well, this was just letters. me wanting to go, this is actually some of my best artwork. It didn't work. 
But anyway. I'm protected though, I'm on the men. You are, and that's how much people love you. I love that. Right? It's not, I think that's great, that's why I'm leaving it there. It's not where it goes, but it does now. After being a father, Keep that's that in awesome. my office, and, yeah. What's that? After being a father, that's awesome. That yeah. is pretty sweet. I understand that on a different level yeah. now. Yeah. So, uh, so I talked a bit about, in the introduction, right before we started, I talked um, I, a bit about um, your biography. By virtue of you being a major league pitcher, you have to have a unique perspective on what mental toughness means. And I know you've done mental toughness work. Um, so if you could just, and I make this so abundantly clear, right, in all these episodes, that like the purpose of this Tough Talk series is to have the people who watch and or listen just hear unique perspectives from people from all different walks of life on what mental toughness means. So, so let's start with that. Okay. So in your language, what is mental toughness? And, and how does it play a role, even though that might sound like a duh, obvious question, in your professional experience? Um, I, think, I think mental toughness is kind of controlling a game. Me being, I kind of look at it as me controlling the game. Controlling the game. I, uh, you know, I'm a starting pitcher, so nothing happens until I make it happen. And you know, I was told that when I was in Little League, you know, or whatever. Maybe, maybe my first year of kid pitch. Say it again. I, I mean, that's kind of like the first thing that the coaches tell I mean, you when you're in Little League. Nothing happens until you make it happen. Nothing happens until you make There's it no happen. action until you want to throw the ball. The game is totally on you. Oh, right. Oh, right. And so, from a starting pitching standpoint, or even a pitcher standpoint, you know, relief pitchers control the game as well. I just think that it's you know unique that we you know you're in a position to control the game, you know position players they're at our mercy. You know, there's guys that are doing different things with trying to disrupt timing and and all kinds of different stuff, and that's kind of become you know a major part of pitching now. And you know, it's just crazy. So I look at it from a, a controlling the game standpoint. You know, when the game's getting out of control, how do you get yourself to a place where you can get back to controlling the game? Sometimes the game snowballs and controls you, but how do you get yourself back? How do you flip it back to the other way? So can you answer that? Uh, I think breathing is huge. I mean, obviously you have, to, you have to breathe. Roger right that. Right on. You're in front of 35,000 people. You got to breathe. You know, and controlling your breathing, I think, goes a long way. Um, finding a, 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 a visual that you can kind of look off to to kind of get yourself back into the moment instead of letting the atmosphere take over what's going on. What do you mean? Like a visual like you know, some guys will look at the top of the fly or the top of the foul pole or some some guys will look at, you know, a part of the scoreboard or a sign. Wait, or, so you're saying you know like the foul poles are behind you. Right. Yeah, well I mean you have to you know you step off and you gather yourself. So you just so you pick so you actually do something like that? Like you pick a spot yeah. in the in the stadium. To get your breathing back under control. Oh interesting. That's a really cool tool. That's neat. So you pick a spot and that's your spot whether you're home or away. Yeah. And, and you, you go, when stadium, I look at that spot, spot, that's me reminding myself to breathe and, and chill. It gets you back into your game plan that you've already that's done. Cool. You've done all the work to get back to, huh. you've done all the work to prepare for this game. So I think by picking a spot to, to bring you back to the present instead of letting the outside factors create a situation for you, it brings you back to that game plan when you kind of lose, when you lose it because, you know, we're competing and you know our brain's going a million miles a minute and there's a lot going on yeah and, you know you're having to deal with pitch to pitch thought processes and sometimes you need to take a step back and kind of and you know, get three, back to the game three plan. freaking group uh honestly speaking uh, do you get nervous 
before every game. I can barely eat on the days I pitch. You can barely eat on the days. I love that you're saying that. The days that I pitch, before I start getting ready, you know, start stretching and getting ready, I'll always have like a peanut butter and jelly, a bag of chips, a string cheese. Wait, wait, that's, that's like your deal? That's a your bottle stable? of water and a maybe, string cheese? maybe like a yogurt. I call it mom's lunch and I'll always that's eat awesome. it. I'll eat it right before I go pitch. A PBJ and a string cheese I and a keep yogurt? It, keep it as basic as possible. Because, <laughs> I, you know, I, I, for one, I don't want something that's going to bog me down out there. You know, I need something light, but I, you know, I need some, I need carbs, but I also need stuff that's going to be sitting light on my stomach. You know, I can't be crushing a burrito or something before I go out there. That'd be bad news, man. <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember who it was, but the other day somebody was playing in Philly, and it was like his first time as a pitcher playing in Philly. And he actually, they said the commentators, I don't know if it's true or not, but they said that he ate a cheesesteak pregame. A cheesesteak. It's rolling the dice, man. That's a dicey move. <laughs> That's a really good move right there. That's a so you do get meal. Every, you know, so you've been a professional, well, you actually, like, because you've been a professional for long in this, but your, your actual MLB debut was in 2011. So it's eight years ago. So you're used to being pro. Um, I, I assume you're like you take it for granted. How long was this your dream? I don't think it was ever not my dream. I don't think I can ever remember not playing baseball. I think you know when I talked to my parents, you know, they, I was always a kid that had a ball in his hand. I was always you know trying to get my dad to take me outside and play wiffle ball with me and play yeah. catch and yeah. You know, I just—it was always a constant in my life. I never not—I never not played baseball. Yeah, but was it all? But can you remember when? Was there ever a day, like where you're like, yeah, I want to go pro? Uh, I think, like I said, I think it's just been a mindset ever since I've ever known. I mean, I pro though. Yeah, I don't. There's never been another thought. So you were mind. a professional baseball fan as a kid. You used Absolutely. to watch. So who did you like? Who did you watch? TV. I get home from school. Um, you know. The bus would drop me off like 3, 3.30, and the Cubs always played day games, so I'd watch the Cubs on WGN, and then on TBS, the Braves would play, so I'd watch the Braves play, and that was when they were doing it, man. That was the, like, yeah. you know, the 90s when they were killing it, bro, so yeah, yeah. Um, that was kind of my thing, man. I, I don't know. I just always watched baseball. I was always interested in baseball. My dad's a huge baseball fan, so, you know, it was kind of a constant, you know, as far as... It, it, it wasn't hard for me to love it, you know. It well, was just... no, so, okay. So, so basically you're saying for as long as you've been in baseball, you've wanted to be pro. You did yeah. it. You did it. That's a really rare thing, right? And that's, this is something I feel is important for, like, for our audience is to slow down to talk about that. Like, that's, that's, that's actually amazing. Like, very few people materialize that kind of goal or dream, right? Now, I started this by saying it's... You've been professional for eight years. You've been in the major leagues for eight years. I guess maybe you're a professional a little bit longer than that, but you're major leagues, right? About ten. Yeah. Okay. So, so right. You still appreciate it? Like, have you grown accustomed to it? Is it like, yeah, yes, that's cool, that's amazing, but I got more shit to do now. Um, I love, I love baseball. Um. I think I, I went through a period of time where I was injured a lot, and I'm still going through injuries now. But you know, there was definitely a part in, a part where I probably re, I took the game for granted a little bit. You know, I took my health for granted. Um, you took your health for granted. You know, I, were you ever injured as a like a junior athlete or a college athlete? Dude, I, we're I, gonna get to the injuries in a second. I had never broken a bone in my body up until. Uh -huh. 
you know, I, I, uh, I blew out my knee. My yeah, you still haven't broken a bone then. Yeah. So, I don't believe in that bullshit anyway. You know, but you I, hadn't had a significant injury. Right. Okay, so we'll get to the injuries later. That was a total But the question is, is, like, are you still in appreciation? Do you, now, like, I, I, now? I think more than ever, you know, I'd, obviously I'm going through this process and I can't wait to get back, but I think going through all the injuries and kind of going through the ups and downs of it made me appreciate the game more and made me appreciate what I get to do on a daily basis. I love basis. that, and I want to really elaborate on that with you in a minute. Sure. Okay? We are absolutely, we have to talk about that. Because there's so much great value in that because you have been plagued. And that's sort of victim-y term, but whatever, it's true. You have had a string of injuries that are, that's all, that like, it's like, Jesus, are you, like what An the, unusual and amount. What, what, yeah, right. So, but before we get to that, um, I want to talk about your debut. Okay. And I knew you before your, your, you debuted in one of the most amazing, iconic locations to play baseball, to pitch, the me the to start. The Mecca, you called it, yeah. Yankee Stadium. Which is cool. Yeah. Looking and back to on put it, it bluntly, cool. you got shelled, mm -hmm. right? You gave up six earned runs in five innings, right? Yeah. Yeah. But at the end of the game, you know what your ERA was? I couldn't tell you. 10.8, I can tell you. Hey, 10.8, dude. To make it five innings in your debut, though. I'm not ripping. I'm just. I'm trying to paint it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Cheers. I'm not trying to be a dick over here. I think I'm just saying. I'm setting this up because, like, because it was play. not the what you wanted. But no, I mean, obviously say? not. No, of course, right, right. Um, it wasn't the start that you wanted. I was sitting here. I was sitting here. I was gonna say. I was sitting right over there with a whole bunch of all your with your family, right? I'm like, oh. So let me ask you a few questions about that, okay? How did you feel after you got pulled? I, maybe that's like a stupid question, but I want you to go back and like really, because what you've done with it is is the point of all this line of questioning, by the way. Um, I, I think I went and I sat on the bench, obviously, and I had known that, you know, I had had a super not great start, but, you know, there were some shining moments, there were some cool things that happened. Um, but obviously, when you first come off the mound, you kind of are, you're coming out with a, with, you're coming out not with a lead. You know, you right. know that you just handed the bullpen four innings to swallow. Yeah, but didn't you also feel like you had, did you feel like you had something to prove? Like, this is your debut, dude. This is your, your debut, and like, that is not, how I wanted that to I go. I think you instantly think about going back down. You get getting sent back down to AAA. I oh, mean, right, right, right. You know, so. Right, like, is that, did I just blow it? I did you have that so, thought? Did yeah, I just blow it? Your mind. Did I just, Absolutely. like, fuck up my career? Did you yeah. think that? No, not my career, but I was like, damn, I no. ruined, I ruined no, my important. first opportunity. Okay. You know, my first opportunity to shine, yeah. I, f I feel like I didn't get to, I didn't answer the bell, you know what I'm Well, I, that experience, um, I don't know. Let me put this. I was going to say a statement, but I want to put this in question form. Oh, the Yankees are on right now. Um, did it define you? No. I think it did was, it serve you? I took a lot of good from that. What? And it took me a while to to look for the good in the bad. It did. And that's something that you have to, you know, as you go through this process of a career, are going to have plenty of ups and downs. But I feel like. You, until you learn how to benefit from the downs, the ups aren't going to be as as 
up as they possibly can. You know? yeah. yeah, of course. I think regardless, I got, I got through it, and to me, it was like, hey, I can do this, though. I, I've, I just got the first one out of the way. I can do this. I just went out there on the biggest stage. Yeah. And, yeah. And did it. Yeah. How many people? How many people could do that? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So like in my mind, like I still had confidence too. You know. Do you do you still think that? Like how many people could do? Like do you still remind yourself of the like the rarity of what you're doing? No, because I think I just stay in I stay in the moment. I. I surround myself with like people. I have a lot of baseball friends. So like, you know, we talk about the same things. We share the same interests. Yeah. We have the same drives. We have the same goals. You know, it's, I'm around a lot of like, like me people. But let's get right, uh, let's go into like some real, so um, I am assuming that in order to become, this is not an assumption, this is a fact, in order to become a professional athlete in any sport, you have to have some mental toughness. Without a doubt. Yeah. So you, um, when in your career, at what stage, whether it's Little League or at um, Oklahoma, uh, you're a Sooner, right? That's pretty solid squad. Not bad. Yeah. Or high school, Edmond, right? Went to Edmond. Um, like when did when did at what point in your career did mental toughness even, be, even become a thing? I think when when you get to the point where you have to do things in order to you have to do things that you don't want to do to get to where you want to go. Okay, like when's that? Nobody likes to run. Nobody likes to lift. Nobody likes so to make not sacrifices. Huh? So it's not literally. No, I would say in high school. I say once you got to high school, you know, you kind of gain a little bit of an edge. Your body starts to fill out a little bit. You start to kind of come into your own. Oh, yeah, of course. Thank here, you. Right here. Absolutely. No, right here. Oh, okay. <laughs> Good to see you, bro. Um, yeah, no, I... That's, that's the Greg I issue. I think until you get to, you know, a more competitive stage, I don't think... The game's still just fun. It's just a game, you know? When you're in middle school and when you're playing on little league teams with your friends, I don't. It was just a game that you played. You know, I don't think it was. I didn't treat it as seriously as I did when I got to high school. You know, because then the next step is college. You know, and I always worried about the next step. I never, I never got too far ahead of myself. I just knew what the next step was. The next step was to go to college. So I wanted to earn a scholarship. So that, that was my goal in high school. So you work towards that. You make the sacrifices. You know, a lot of time spent. Doing th playing baseball versus you know doing what everybody else is doing, going to the lake, whatever you know. During the summer, we're playing baseball, you know, and I think that that's something you either want to do or you don't, you know. And I think the ones that stick with it and have a true passion for the game are the only, they're the only ones that make it in the end, you know. A lot of sacrifice. You and I have a um, a late great friend in common. Dr. Ken Revisit. Dr. Ken, so he was a, um, I mean, would you say that he was your mental coach? He was yeah. the coach for the Angels? Yeah. Right, and he was a mentor. I've told you the story a million times. It's amazing. I'm not going to tell the story here, but I'll just summarize it by saying what an amazing freaking human who stood yeah. up in a moment, and I don't want to tell the whole story, but it's like, 
this was a moment at the beginning of my career where I was like embarrassed by somebody. It was a great first impression. It was the most amazing first impression where he, like someone, a guy, a sports psychologist, sort of embarrassed me, <clears throat> shamed me a little bit when I was in graduate school. Ken overheard it and he said, come on, man, come here. I'll tell you everything you want to know. And I'm like, wow. And I've, and I've pledged. And I'm, I've kept this pledge so far. I'm going to be that guy. I'm going to be like that. I'm always going to be like that. Paying somebody, forward, man. So I'm definitely, I, I thought of him this morning. Somebody sent me an email. He's a student in Indiana. I haven't even talked to him yet. Sent me an email. He's like, I want to learn more about, you know, sports psychology. Instantly thought of Ken. Yeah. Okay, so Ken I'm totally do. talking. I'm calling this kid. That's what Ken would do. That's exactly what he do. So can you tell us about the work that you did with him? Um, me and Ken did a lot of visualization. Um, yeah, he's, he's big. That's such a big powerful vis freaking tool. Visualization, controlling the breathing. Um, Making sure that when you're on the rubber, you know, you mean business. If you don't mean business, get off the rubber. Speaking of the pitching rubber of on course. the mound. So, yeah. um, but me and Ken, you know, we would get together before my starts and, and uh, you know, in a conference room completely dark and I'd lay on the ground and me and Ken would literally go through the first five innings of the game, five, six innings of the game. So he guide you through that. Just vi visualizing everything happening before it even happened. He would create havoc. He would create success. He would create unfortunate, yeah. un unfortunate, you know? Yeah. He would create a game-like scenario that you could visualize before you even went out there. And it made the game seem like you had already done it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And by controlling the breathing, you know, like I had mentioned, man, I I just feel like if you can control that breathing, you yeah, can control yeah. your mind. You can control the way you think. So do you actually? Still, so you mentioned breathing. You obviously use that. Um, I want to watch you a little close. I want to see if I can see you breathing. You take big old deep breaths, or you just like kind of just making sure you're breathing. Some are more noticeable than others. So. Um, do you use imagery still? Visualization. Yeah, same thing. Yeah, no, I mean, I think I think I go to bed every night before my start, the day before my start, kind of envisioning what I want to happen. You know, you play the same team three or four times, so if you're not facing that team for the first game of the series, you get to watch a couple games before it's your turn to pitch. So I'll go through the lineup and I'll go through each hitter and kind of figure I'll, I'll think to myself what do I want to throw them and if I throw this what am I going to come back with or how do I want to attack them the first time through the order you you're, know, and you're doing all that the, the night before I think it's the only way I can go to sleep the night before I pitch I you know wow. you get you get nervous man I mean it's hard to sleep the night before you pitch so I, that's just a way that I'm able to kind of just use the nerve, just, just kind of redirect relax, it. man, yeah. and just, you know, I'm doing work while I'm not doing work, you know? No. Just sitting there. You thinking. are doing work, though. That is, well, it is work. Uh, do you have a pregame? Oddly enough, man, I my, every day is kind of different. I just go kind of based on how I feel. If I come in feeling great, you know, I'll, I'll stretch and do everything as much as I think need be, but some days are, you know. Do you, do you, do you any, I should be more specific. Do you have, do you, is there anything that you do before the games? mentally to prepare yourself like I said I mean we go over the game plan and everything I mean uh, like the day uh, and I mean like right up I'm talking right before I go okay out. Yeah, yeah yeah so I'll sit down with the with the hitting co or the pitching coach and the catcher that's catching that day and we'll make we'll go over the game plan I'll tell them what I want to do he'll they'll tell me what they see we'll kind of come up with something that we can take out there 
obviously your game plan's not always going to be exactly what you want it to be. <laughs> it's never you know? going to be exactly. Well, you, actually, maybe not never. You, know, we'll talk you, about could, that you could literally not have fastball command that day, but your slider you can throw anywhere you want. So you use your slider to get you back. You know, it's just not every pitch is going to be there every single time. So. You but sometimes to, it will. And those are the magic words. Yeah, in fact, in fact, you could use the word immaculate. <laughs> oh. 2014 Astros. Yeah. First inning? I don't even remember. I didn't even know that I had done it. What is an immaculate? What is an immaculate inning? An immaculate inning is nine pitches, nine strikes, three strikeouts. So literally exactly what you got to do to get three so strikeouts great. and the least amount of pitches possible. Yeah. And I mean it's 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 happened a couple times this year already. It happens a couple times every year, but Oh really? I had no idea that I had even done it until after the game. The what? Re reporters had asked me and I cuz you're so locked in, man. You got tunnel vision. You're like, "Okay, cool." Really? You're like you're like, okay, that's a 10-pitch inning. That's great. That means that I, like, literally, I get to save bullets and I can go deeper into the game. That's how I was thinking. You know, I'm thinking about save my, bullets. I like that. That's I'm thinking about my pitch. save bullets. I'm thinking about being, you know, pitch efficient. I'm trying to go as deep into this game as possible. Yeah. If I, if I throw 100 pitches in five innings, I, I can't make it till the no. seventh inning, so, the eighth inning. Yeah, and this is not really about mental toughness. It's just kind of like your opinion on pitch count. Like, you know, is, do you think that it's because like, now, when I grew up watching baseball, that wasn't a thing. Like, it wasn't a thing. Guys would throw 200, 200 pitches. Yeah, so... I didn't care. Um, I think that the, the evolution of baseball and the way guys are throwing now, yeah. I mean, it's not uncommon to have an entire bullpen that throws 95-plus. There's nobody that throws 80 miles an hour anymore around. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. The, the 88 to 91 mile an hour fastball guys... Unless they have incredible spin rate now, I mean, they, now they're going off of these, um, you know, rap soto numbers, you know, spin rate and all this other stuff. You actually have the highest spin rate, right, on curveball and. S it's uh, not. I don't know. Anyway, you did. Spinning in, in all of Major League Baseball. Spinning in baseball is not my issue, but I'm saying. Okay. For, for I'm just trying like, to give you some props here, bro. I know, but I don't like that. You know, I. I you know. <laughs> Same, same. But the guys, the guys that don't necessarily throw really hard, they might have that super spin rate. You know, okay. it, it plays really well. Guys are pitching up in the zone more now too, so that, you know, guys with spin rate are pitching more up in the zone. Yeah. So let's let's change it up a little bit here. Can you think of a time in your life, and this doesn't have to be baseball related, but it sure as hell can be, where the absence of mental toughness affected you? Yeah. Um, like when you look back, you're like, man, it would have been really handy to be, you know, tougher there emotionally, to be more emotionally masterful. Sure. I mean, there's plenty of games over the years. I mean, I think I've had three, three starts in my career, maybe, where I've gone like less than two innings. You know, didn't even make um, it out of the second inning. Right. I think at Yankee Stadium, I only went like an inning and a third. Not not your start. No, no this was even as recent as last year. Oh, really? Yeah, so I mean, it happens. You know, it, it does happen. It's not uncommon, but the good ones don't let it happen. You know what I'm saying? You got to, I have to be able to mentally get myself under control. I think I let outside factors. It was kind of drizzling. It was raining. And you were complaining about that in your head? Uh, I mean, I just, you know, it's hard to get a grip on the ball. These are things that are going through your head. You know, I'm not thinking the way that I'm supposed to be thinking. 
supposed to be overcoming adversity, not acknowledging adversity. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So, <laughs> so looking back on, you know, shitty moments like that, you pull the good from stuff like that, and I know next time I'm in a situation like that, like I'm going to bear down and get the job done. Yeah. You know, it's just... Uh, I think you, you learn a lot, man, from failure. And well, and that's really important, okay? So we're going to talk some more about that uh, because uh, for people listening or watching, you know, you're, you're, this, you know, you're on TV, you know, you're a professional baseball, you're a starter, you, know, you get paid handsomely, you're very successful. And what happens is people you know, attribute power to you, but the truth is, or, or a lot of times, in, in the attribution of power to you, what also happens is they, a lot of times people say, well, he's like an anomaly. He's a, like an outlier on the normal curve. He's not normal. And of course, you have they maybe abnormal that, levels of talent. They think that we can't relate to everybody right. else. Right. Which is why I love, you know, when you talk about your vulnerability, like, and you talk about it openly and, and actually very creatively. You're like, well, and you haven't said this to me, but I hear this, is that it's almost like thank God for it. So you have, in the last three, more than that, years, You've been dealing with some serious freaking injuries, mm -hmm. right? Was it what was the first? 2000, 2014. 14 was the knee deal. This freaky, knee. weird. Ass, I was here for watching you on TV tonight for that goddamn game too. Covering first base. Going to, yep, going to cover first base, and you went down, and you screamed bloody hell. You were screaming, and we're going, oh my god, yeah. what in the actual is happening to him? Yeah. Yeah, uncomfortable. And it was a patella tendon? Patella tendon rupture. Freak weird kind of, this is an abnormal I was told that, thing. I was told that if I tried to do that again, that there's no way I could, you know, so, so this so, is so, a, so, so, did you have a FML military? Like, Anytime you get hurt, the first thing you ask yourself is why me? Why me? Why did this happen to me? Especially when it's a freak thing like that. Because, to be honest, I think you ask why me, but I don't think for, as an athlete you... I don't think as an athlete you question that being like, you know, of, an, of a higher being. I think you question, okay, what did I do to make this happen? Did somebody slide into me? Did something happen? But the, like mine, nobody, mine's a non-contact, man. I'm running over first base, getting ready to square up for a backside double play. You know, as soon as I started chopping my feet, you know, felt Boy. like, yeah, you know, I feel a pop and see you later. So I guess it's hard, I wouldn't say it's harder, but I think it's more difficult to understand weird, freakish stuff like that. So how did you make sense out of that? I looked at it as an opportunity to get better. When? Like physically. how much time passed before you're like, all right, we're gonna oh, no, create something out of this. You go through, a, you go through a good, so I was in a straight cast for about eight weeks, so two months. So you were locked up? Locked in, um, and then you cut, after eight weeks, they kind of started moving the degree on it, so you start working on the range of motion again, and that's obviously not comfortable whatsoever. I mean, how long were you out for that? From that, yeah, that takes a little while, another couple months. So I'm saying, and then, and then when did you say your attitude turned on? It's like, all right, all right, enough pity, fucking party over here. We're gonna, we're gonna use this. Uh, I, well, I think from the very, I think the first couple months, you obviously are kind of out of it you, you can't really do much yeah. you're on a couch you're watching netflix you're killing it you know that only lasts for so long before you're just like god i, I gotta get moving again you know yeah. Yeah. i think as athletes you know like breaking a sweat on a daily basis is like kind of like second nature to us and like if i go a day without like getting a sweat in or or like at least just feeling myself move a little bit 
you know, you start to get a little bit, you know, agitated, I think. And, you know, you go eight weeks without moving. It sucks, man, you know. So you're just... Okay. Uh, but you turned it around at some point. I looked at... Well, I mean, from the get-go, they told me that it would be about eight months before I got back, you know, fully healthy. And so I, I blew out my knee in August um, of 2014. And eight months from then was going to be April. So... I really, really worked my ass off this, that offseason just to come back on that eight-month mark. And sure as shit, man, I only missed one. I missed the first first go-around of the year, but we had an off day, so it didn't really, you know, it didn't affect anything. Yeah. I ended up throwing, like, 32 starts that year, like 200, most innings I've ever thrown, 210 innings. Um, you know, it was a little bit, it, I'm pitching on kind of one-and-a-half legs. You know, it took a little while for that to kind of gain full strength and kind of come back to normal but I don't know man I think I had such a great year in 2014 I just didn't want to like lose that momentum you know so I really wanted to make sure that I was back for 2015 and I was I, I, I did it you know back in eight months Most of that. and then then 2016 16. elbow halfway through the year I first felt it on opening day Cubs were coming in town, oh, wow. so I threw opening day against the Cubs, and then uh, that night, you know, my elbow just, it felt really tight and abnormally weird, like it, it like uncomfortable, you know, like, like it hadn't ever before. Next day, it kind of calmed were down. Were you scared? Were you like, sums up? I was definitely worried. I'm like, you know, this is abnormal big yeah. time, like this isn't, isn't right. Did you, did you ever think? I like, thought it was like a flexor tendon or something. Okay. I didn't think it was necessarily my UCL. Okay come to find out you know when these other muscles start kind of acting up it's because that thing's damaged so that yada 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 I needed I needed uh, I needed to get this thing fixed yeah so I, I ended up doing the stem cell rehab for half the year came back at the end of the year everything was great was throwing hard you know didn't skip a beat we're in the spring training the next year everything was great everything was fine 2017 opening day 2017 my nerve I have a nerve in my bicep that shuts down. You know, I've only known two other people, there's only two other people that have had this happen to them. One of them happens to be my good buddy, Michael Kahn, who had happened to him and he came back from it. And then prior to that, there was only, I think, Brad Penny and maybe one other guy who ever had this happen to him. And it's kind of something that just takes time. There's nothing you can really do. Did you go back into the, God, yeah, why I mean, me? How can Jesus, you not? when's you know, this gonna end? You know, you get, you get rid of one injury, another one flares up. And it's just like, on top of that, it took a while for us to kind of figure out what it was. So it was kind of in limbo as well. You know, it's the uncertainty. What is this? Why is this not working? You know, going and doing tests all over the, you know, up and down the West Coast, trying to figure out what this thing is. And it just happened to be a nerve that needed yeah. to regenerate at its own pace. So, so you can actually say at this point now, and, and oh, and by the way, yesterday I read an article that you didn't even know uh, came out that your recovery is going tremendously well and that there's a, just at least, at, at least even if it's minuscule, a possibility that if the Padres make the playoffs, maybe you could even make it back for the postseason, which is amazing because I think when Exciting. this started, everyone's like, all right, well, I'm definitely out for the whole year. Uh, so that's pretty kick-ass, right? Um, if you're going to... So, so you're a veteran of injury. I know my way You paid your dues. One or two. You paid your dues. Well, you had three right. in a row. 
Yeah, and the second was the same thing twice, virtually. Things happen in threes, so hopefully I'm, you know, hopefully I'm moving okay. forward. Yeah, so um, if there happens to be anybody watching or listening who's an athlete, who is uh, having some, at any level, similar experience, what advice would you give them? Like injuries, dealing with injuries, it's a huge thing. You know, and, and as when I was doing only sports psychology, like exclusively coaching athletes, it was a big deal. I had a lot of people come with the singular intention of how do I deal with the injury? Right. Um, uh, so, so, I mean, because it seems like the general, and I'm making this a really long question, but the general conception is that if it's a big injury or if there's a series of injuries, then maybe I'm just not cut out for this. You know, the thinking could go pretty dark. So, um, um, I think... I think as soon as you realize that you're not the only one who's ever had to deal with that specific injury, mm -hmm. it's easier to kind of accept it. It could happen to anybody. I mean, people deal with injuries all the time, especially in sports, you know? And to be honest with you, if you, if you don't look at it, if you don't come out of that, that injury better than, than you went into it, uh -huh. I, I look at it as a wasted opportunity. I think, I think obviously injuries happen and they're unfortunate, but I think if you spin them in a way that you can make them positive, not only does it make the time fly by a little bit faster, but the reward is so much, it's so much more gratifying. You know, when you come out of the end of the tunnel and you're back playing and you're having success, it all makes it worth it, man. It makes it all worth it. Provided, of course, it's not a career-ending injury. So obviously, I mean, but when it's not, I'm mean, obviously, yeah, but I know. But there might be people listening, it's like, yeah, well, yeah, good for you, but mine was career-ending, and I got to sure. you know, be sensitive to that because that's a possibility but too. Yours you had not been career-ending unless you maybe thought they were. But I think you can apply that attitude to everyday life as well. Say more. So I don't think necessarily it has to be sports-related. Uh huh. You know. You could make an injury could be anything that happens to you in real life, not necessarily an injury, but a something unfortunate something and that you have to deal with. You have to overcome a shitty, I love that. a shitty hurdle in life. Right. There's a, you always can spin it in some positive way. I love that. I, feel I like love that a lot to. because I like to say that every set of circumstances can be leveraged for individual or collective gain. You can create excellence out of every circumstance but only if viewed masterfully. And that's definitely. obviously how you're doing that, right? With, with, it wasn't uh, always like that, though. You know, you, you definitely have to, I feel like until you acknowledge it and you accept it, then I don't think you'll ever get to that mindset. No, I, I, yeah, I agree, right? As long as I have a problem with the it's problem, I'm never gonna grow from the problem. It's easy to dwell, you know, anybody can dwell. But to get over that and to move into a, a, a positive direction that's going to benefit you. That's Mount Toftis. Dude, that's it right there. Yeah. Right how much more incentive, you know? Like, dude, you get to better yourself. Yeah? You get to come out of this better than you went into it. I'm going to use this. Absolutely. Use it as a way to become better. Right. 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 That's what I do. And it's not, well, good for you. Cheers to you on that. So uh, next question is, what are, um, and, and if, if this isn't something that you want to say publicly, I totally appreciate that, but I am interested in it, so I, I got to ask you, what are some of your biggest goals for yourself right now as a pitcher? What do you, like, when you look forward, you're like, all right, this is what I really want to create with my career. Like right now? Like as of right now? In this very moment, where we are. I mean... 
I think like I think you get when you get hurt, I think you get forgotten about. You know, I think you kind of disappear. You disappear like a ghost. You know, really? you're still you're, people still know who you are, and people know like that you're. But they haven't seen you on TV. You haven't been people in the rotation for a long while. People know where you are and what you're doing. But you're not like in, on anybody's mind. You're not in anybody's mouth. Nobody, people forget about you. You know, and I don't that's even, I don't even need that to be. I don't even like. That's not like I don't need that self like gratification. You know what I'm saying? I don't need to like hear people talking about me. But it also like is a motivational drive, and it kind of angers me that you just drop off that fast. You know, you could be so successful and then be totally forgotten about so fast. Well, well that's very interesting because I mean, you bring up the word success. So, like, to you, you know, as a professional pitcher, I mean, what's, what is success to you? How, like, how do you define success for yourself? Being a good teammate. Who's that? Being a good teammate, being a guy that being a guy that you guys can depend on, man. You know, I don't think, I don't think I get more, I don't think I get more hyped and more motivated to pitch a game than when I come in the locker room that day and everybody's excited because I'm pitching that day. Or the night before when people are like, hey man, when are you pitching? I'm pitching tomorrow. And everybody's like, hell yeah. Like that gets me going, you know? Having the, res having, having the respect and having the confidence in your teammates is the ultimate, dude. When when people know that you're pitching and then they know that they got a, a great chance to win a ball game, yeah. that fuels me. You know what I'm saying? And that yeah, yeah, yeah. that makes me want to be as be as good as I can be for them. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. I think if you I think if you put it all on that, then it kind of takes the pressure off a lot of the other stuff. You yeah. know what I'm saying? I think if you just make it about the team, make yourself I, accountable, I man. You know. Be a guy on your team that people can depend on. Sure, we're going to fail. We're going to fail. We're going to fail. It happens. We're going to fail. Uh-huh. But you're, even in failure, if your team still has confidence in you, that speaks volumes. They see what you do behind the scenes. They see how hard you work. They know that you go about your business as a professional. Yeah. I think just having that respect of your teammates goes so much further than people think, you know? If a guy's working really, really hard and he's still failing, he still has the respect of his teammates. You know what I'm saying? Mm. When you're not pushing yourself, that's so great. It's so much. It's so easy for. It's so easy to blame failure on that because nine times out of ten, that's the reason why. Yeah. Am I right? No. Well, you know. Yeah. No. I love there are this a few outliers who can just like go out and do it. You know, there there are those people out there too. But those are. Yeah, I can think of a couple. Those are uh, well, talents. Man. Uh, well, uh, well, uh, that's not where I was going to go with that. I also. Well, the ones I was thinking of weren't very likable. And what I love about your answer is uh, that it's not about you. That's really fascinating because it's really it's us. You know, and you're using the us as inspiration for you. That, it's not all, I hope I do good. I hope I do good. That was I learned, hope I don't fuck up. That was learned at the University of Oklahoma. Oh, really? That's when I learned... Not, Obviously, like in high school, you're cl you're close with your team and you want to win, and obviously you have the same common goal, and you're you know you're your brothers. But the things that I went through at, at OU, and the way that we came together for like three years, and we took that program for where it, where it was when we first got there, yeah. and how we left it. Yeah. Like that's one of the more prouder 
accomplishments I had. Of your career. I love, looking back on That's it, amazing. what we went through sucks. The weightlifting, the early running, all the shit, all the study hall, all the, everything, man. Like, a student athlete at a, at a major division one, or even a college in general, it's a, it's so much added to on top of just being a student. Oh, right? yeah, you gotta juggle a lot of stuff. Right. So I think you learn how to be a man, you learn how to, you learn a lot of things in that period of time, and I think that that got me ready for a professional baseball. If I would have signed out of high school or gotten drafted out of high school, I don't think I'd still be playing baseball. I don't think I would have been able to handle. What? I wouldn't have been able to hand. I don't think I was mature enough to handle what it takes to be successful at this level. I don't think I was prepared to give the, the what it took to be what I wanted to be. I think it took me going to college and making the sacrifices and going through the three years of hectic everything. To where when I got to pro ball, man, it was like, all I have to do is worry about playing baseball, tunnel vision, the goals to get to the big leagues, everybody get out of my way. That's pretty that. much the mentality, man. Beautiful. Right on. Well, I think I speak for a lot of people when I say I cannot wait to sit here and watch you again on the big screen. I'm pumped. Yeah. Well, hey, thank you. Well, first of all, a shout out to Jim Lolly and all the people at the Hungry Monk for hosting us today. Uh, if you happen to be in Arizona, come to the Hungry Monk in Chandler. It's if you like staple. craft beer, you need to check this place out. The food, man. Talk about the, the food is legit as well. And we need to probably give Mr. the beer chef, Giddy Goldberg, a little shout out for that, right? Phenomenal. So, uh, so thank you guys for all that. And thank you for making time. This was actually your idea. It was my idea to, 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 to it was, of course I asked you to be on. It was your idea to, demand that it occurred here in a fun place this is the first time I've ever done, we've probably done 40 episodes of Top Talk over the last couple of years. This is the first time we've ever done one in a public place. I think you can just relax cool. in an environment like this. And I, I think agree. that's what it, And this is where I know you. People, people are <laughs> this is our comfort zone. This is a, a staple. It's yeah, a, it's man. A, so I appreciate place. you and I appreciate all you shared today. And thank Absolutely. you for being a guest. And I can't wait to see you on the mound, Absolutely. brother. Absolutely. Good, babe. Thanks, all right. Man. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Well, here I am back in the captain's quarters. That was pretty cool. That was really fun. That was actually his idea, was to go over to the Hungry Monk. That is, in fact, where we met, as, as we mentioned during the interview. So that, that, was, that was really cool uh, for us to go hang out over there and uh, do our first ever Tough Talks live uh, recording in a public place. It was pretty neat. And um, easily my favorite takeaway from that conversation with him and one of the reasons i really love g rich so much is that it, it's it's not like jibber jab it isn't lip service it is his truth and and it's and i i've never coached him like he's never a client of mine he's always been a friend and and this is his subscription is that you know i just convert adversity into fuel that's not his language but that it should it could be right i mean it's what he's saying and he's had his damn share of it that's for sure um, especially lately with the injuries. And I just love his attitude about that, you know? So, and I also love that he brought up the fact that it's not just like the, the, the approach to not dealing with, but creating from. Growing is his language. Growing from the adversities is not limited to injuries in life, and it certainly isn't applicable only to athletes. So I'm sure uh, you've had no difficulty bridging the gap between his experience and his choice 
on how to utilize, right, uh, quote, setbacks and uh, think about ways that um, maybe you can strengthen your own ability to do that in, in your life as well. So I hope you really enjoyed it. I enjoyed him so much, and I really can't wait to get, you know, to, to see him back on the mound. So thanks for tuning in, as always, and until next time, create miracles.